Uh, how are you doing, Brian? I'm good. The reason I was slightly delayed is I was hooking up. So it's a common thing now for like synth manufacturers, Roland or whatever, to make these little modules, which basically recreate all the insides of classic synths. And I have a, uh, a Juno module for the, uh, mm-hmm. I think it's the 106, Juno 106, uh, that like if you hook it up to a MIDI controller, it is just like mm-hmm. playing on a Juno without the, obviously the keyboard action is different, but it has exactly the same sounds as, you know, Whoa. the Juno synth. So I have a Juno and a Jupiter and they, they make one other. I'm not even sure if they still make them. It was like a limited edition thing a few years ago. And like surprisingly not stupid expensive either. Like there were a couple hundred bucks for these classic synths that if you bought the actual synth, it would probably be like a grand or something. Uh, yeah, totally. And so I was in the middle of like hooking it up. It was very exciting. I've had this thing for a while, but I've just never really used it. It's very exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, what's like your your dream synth? I'm not a, a gearhead. Uh like, for example, <laughs> Dr. Song is. So I don't sure. like, I don't know enough about what all the, uh, you know, the real classic, like hard to get stuff is. I would love, I mean, it's a real basic one now, but a Moog Sub 37, which is a current, you can currently get it. Uh, and it just has a lot of great sounds. I mean, it's not like out of reach. <laughs> this is not like a, oh my God, if something, yeah. you know, I could go get one for probably, I don't even know how much they are, but it's not like $10,000 or something. Uh, I'm sure, sure it's not cheap, but you know, it's, it's not like, oh my God, if only, you know, this is the out of print <laughs> thing that only totally. was existed in 1972. Um, sure. Totally. But I, I don't know enough about it. Like I never really fuck with all the knobs and shit. Like I just kind of, you know, dial things to how I like them. And most of the stuff I do is on, uh, on software rather than like hardware anyway. So it's, yeah, totally. I've never really gotten into it as much as I would. Part of me wants to, but part of me is also like, I don't know. It's kind of a black hole. Yeah. I've been like constantly thinking about on the Anthony episode where he was like, listen, everybody's kind of a gearhead about something. And it's like, God, that's so true. He's right. Yeah. Even you can be a gearhead about software, right? You don't need to be a gearhead about hardware. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, a gearhead about stupid keyboards. I'm I'm thinking about, but I don't need another keyboard. How many keyboards do I currently have? Four. How many computers do I currently have? Two. (laughs) Um, I I was very interested in the tweet you uh, you put out. I think it was yesterday about Dvorak versus uh, Qwerty. So talk to me about your thought process because I you know there are is it first of all is it Dvorak like the composer or Dvorak do you know the pronunciation I was saying Dvorak like a scrub but it sounds cooler the way that you're saying it um well that's the 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 class you know the the famous composer is Dvorak right yeah yeah but I don't know if it's the same diacritical marks and the name that sort of stuff and also I'm sure I'm not even pronouncing that name right it's, you know, it's a word, but yeah, I, that, that's what I was going to bring up is that I've been thinking about switching from Cordy to Dvorak, however you say it, whatever it is. Um, just because I was watching some, I was like, I, I'm already a big nerd about keyboards. How can I make this worse? Um, and it's been kind of <laughs> cool with the, the split keyboard that I've got going on right now. Like I, half of it doesn't work yet. 
So I've been trying to like relearn how to type because I was never like good at touch type typing like home key stuff. Oh I yeah. I just taught myself. So Me by too. the time that I was officially learning, it was just like, all right, this is, this is fucked. Um, is your, is your, is your split keyboard like split split, like two detached halves? Oh yeah. They're like little cyber mittens um, nice. and they have thumb clusters on them. So instead of a space bar, you have like, I'll just send you a picture of it uh, later. They're, it's very weird looking. Cool. Um, but it's really cool. It makes way more sense. It's ortholinear. So like, I don't understand why every keyboard isn't completely ortholinear yes. because with like the way that staggered that, like, why would you move your fingers diagonally repetitively when you could just go up and down? I don't understand why this is not the thing. I don't understand. I was thinking back, you know, when people were using typewriters all the time, which was a significant portion of the 20th century. Um, given the amount of force that you had to use to push down those keys, like how did people not have, I mean, maybe they did, I guess the answer is probably they did, but, uh, you don't hear much about people having severe repetitive stress injuries, you know, in the, Mm. while using typewriters. And and my guess is lots of people did and we just don't hear about it. And probably most of those people typing were like, were young women anyway. And, you know, were just like. No one cares about young women's health problems. So they're probably just swept yeah. off into the dustbin of history. Yeah. Well, and that's sort of like why Dvorak is a thing, because with QWERTY, like with typewriters, you wanted to go at a speed that made sense, but that wouldn't cause a jam. So like it's kind of opposite of how you want a typewriter to work if you type fast. Right. But obviously we don't need that sort of force or, th- you know, worry about things getting jammed now. So, so Dvorak puts all of the vowels in the middle row um, yes. and it just like has way less key travel because it's all the combinations that make more sense, even though it's not QWERTY. And if you watch side-by-side videos of it, like you see, you watch somebody doing Dvorak and their fingers like barely move. And then with QWERTY, it's like, wow, why do we do this? This sucks. Yeah. Totally. Um, so I will probably buy another keyboard and do that <laughs> and learn that. And then, and you can remap your keys, right? On a keyboard? Can't oh, you do yes, that, indeed. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's that's part of why I was so excited to get the split keyboard, because you can program uh, layers onto it, so you can just switch between completely different, like, key bindings and stuff that you can make specific to programs or uh, video games and stuff. But I've, like, programmed a bunch of the existing keys to just be macros that I use all the time, like having just a Control-S key, because yeah. uh, I love to program for several hours and then <laughs> lose it. <laughs> Um, very exciting times. I just love when software that is supposed to work doesn't work. I, I was thinking recently, so I use, you know, some audio programs like Logic a lot, and I have just never bothered to learn most of the keyboard shortcuts involved. And at some point, like intellectually, I realized that I should, like it would make my life vastly easier, I'm sure. Uh, it was actually only once yeah. I started editing this podcast that I was like, you know what? Because I, but before that, it was all like MIDI stuff generally. Uh, so when I started yeah. editing this, it was like, well, maybe there, there's got to be a like a keyboard shortcut that just takes you back to the beginning. But it's it's one of those things just acting against my own self interest uh, by not taking <laughs> the, I mean, generously one minute to learn, like literally just Google Logic keyboard shortcuts and yeah, bam, it, I don't understand it. 
with Photoshop, I always think that like, uh, you know, I've been using Photoshop for a decade. I'm pretty proficient at it. And then I watch my friends use Photoshop and I, I just like cannot believe the speed with which they do things. Oh my God. Uh, and yeah. it's, up, it's upsetting to me, like watching it back in the old Grumps office, just like watching Matt and Ryan put stuff together. I'd just be like, what the fuck, it's man? It's crazy. How and are I, you so fast at this? I think it's also, I don't, it, it, it's, I mean, well, tell me if this is the case for you. I think there's something like kind of if you went, if you studied it in school, like you had to learn a lot of that stuff. And some of the people I know that are really proficient at it are not the self-taught people who just kind of like fell into a bad habit on day one and then never stopped. But Mm -hmm. the people who like, you know, took a class in Photoshop or whatever, and it was just drilled into them that they have to use these shortcuts. Um, which is why I also find it's kind of an age thing. People who are my age uh, and are sort of hobbyists or just kind of fell into it uh, are terrible at that stuff. And, of course, younger people are typically a little better, although you are exactly proving the opposite point in your own experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's something that's interesting to me, too, because there's sort of like this, there was the boom of, like, tech literacy and now i feel like we're seeing like a little bit of a decline on that just because like Mm -hmm. you don't have to really know your way around a computer to be really plugged into technology and apps and smartphones and stuff god it's impossible to say stuff like that without sounding like a boomer um but like you know it's it's not you don't have to know much technical stuff like as a prerequisite you can just kind of plug and play and keep going there was an interesting uh study that came out a few years ago I remember hearing about this on The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, which is one of my favorite podcasts, uh, where basically, like, the question is, so there's this kind of uh, conventional wisdom, which is that young people are, let's say, like, teenagers, young teenagers, 13, 14-year-olds, are like, you know, they're digital natives, and they grew up with everything, and they're just so tech-savvy. And so the the question was, like, who is more tech-savvy, these 13-year-olds or the teachers teaching them? And it's like 100% the teachers by a long shot because like, you know, just because you grow up with it doesn't mean you actually know how to, you know, like the ins and outs and have thought deeply about it. Uh, and I thought that was yeah. really interesting. Well, and it's also like the the inclination to seek it out before the internet, especially it was just like a layer, like a shitty cling wrap layer on top of everything and kind of felt more like a geographical place where you log on. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, the very, very different landscape at, at the same time. Like it really young kids are very good at doing a lot of computer stuff, but it seems like it's in a different direction, I guess, or like requires a lot more intentionality about it. And again, there's like the availability of stuff, of tools, especially of, you know, even something like TikTok, which is really, you know, basic and you can do on your phone. Like it just puts more of the power in the hands of like people who can be young and make things. Yeah. And just because you grow up with, I mean, language is a great example, right? You, I mean, everyone we know is fluent in a language Yet that doesn't mean they deeply understand the structure or have really thought about using language, right? Most of the people who, yeah, who speak who speak whatever language are not grammarians and have you know have no deep appreciation or knowledge of you know etymology or syntax or whatever. Uh, and I think tech is kind of the same way. If you just grow up with it, you just kind of use it. And that doesn't mean you've really thought carefully about what it is, why you're doing it, or or something even more 
high level, like how to optimize it. Sure, totally. Do you consider yourself somebody who's like interested in language or uh, etymology like that? Oh yeah, I'm a I'm a huge linguistics fan. I've never studied formally, Interesting. but most of the like infor- like purely informational, that is to say, non comedy or arts podcasts I listen to are uh, are language based. So I really like Lexicon Valley, uh, Lingthusiasm, uh, Away with Words. Like these are standards on my uh my favorite podcasts and it's there's this great blog language log which is a group blog by a bunch of linguists and it's like a lot of the kind of casual internet reading i do is uh it's not like fully academic linguistics but it's like the next step down from that so oh yeah I'm, i'm very interested in that stuff that's fascinating. I I really don't know anything about that, and I'm also surprised to learn that about you. Like, what? Uh, can you share any tidbits? Because I, I can't even imagine what what the hell are these podcasts about? How does an episode of those go? Well, it it, it varies a lot. So, away with words is uh, it's it's less of a linguistics podcast, and I mean, although there are elements of that, but more of a lexicography and slang podcast. So, like, they talk about. Uh, really, it, I, I don't know the precise definition, but like a lexicographer is someone who kind of writes a dictionary, right? He's someone who studies mm-hmm. uh, the way words are are used. Also, I'm probably fucking up this this definition, so if I get this wrong, listeners, tell me. Um, but away with words, a lot of people will call in and they'll be like, "My mom says this. Is that weird?" And they'll be like, no, in fact, there's a, you know, people have been saying that for 300 years, you know, in Virginia or whatever. Uh, like, it, it, it really is uh, an appreciation of how language is used. It, 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 it's pretty much all English speaking, but not 100%. Um, and so that's, that's really great. And then you have something, something like Lexicon Valley, which is John McWhorter. And he actually, he spends a lot of time on... He'll do different things, uh, you know, every, generally that's just him, although occasionally he brings a guest on, whereas Away With Words has callers. But McWhorter will be, like, he'll just do deep dives about language families. It's more uh, linguistic-oriented. He'll talk about etymology a lot. Um, He's just a really fascinating, compelling guy. Uh, He's a professor, I think, at Columbia. um, And he was actually on a panel, I moderated a few years ago at this conference thing and he's just one of these like really interesting fascinating dudes who is very well versed in just general culture a lot of his podcast is him finding excuses to play clips from old musicals which is really great um <laughs> that's very charming and then Lingthusiasm is it's these two women one's an australian and one's a canadian uh and they're like I think one is an academic linguist, and the actually the other is uh, Gretchen McCullough. McCulloch, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce her name, but she wrote this great book called "Because Internet," which is a oh okay. Yeah. I was gonna bring that up because you told me to read that, and I got through like half of it, and then I got distracted. I need to finish it. It's fucking great. Like I just I, I love yeah. everything about that book. She's a really really good writer and has so many interesting points about stuff that I like just you know took for granted that I would see online. Um, and she's one of the hosts of this podcast too. So I don't think she has an academic position. Um, I forget exactly what her deal is, but she is like, like her deal is she studies internet language and she, I, I, that's the podcast I'm least familiar with of those three. I just kind of started listening to it a few months ago. That, and what, what's it called again? Lingthusiasm. 
Yeah, I could I could I talk about this forever. And, you know, I've read, like, I'd say most of the nonfiction books I read are pop language books, include, like the Gretchen McCulloch one. Uh, I yeah. just, actually, there's this guy, uh, Lane Green, who I really, really like, uh, who, who's written this amazing book called Talk on the Wild Side, as well as others. But, uh, you know, just really interesting books. His book is kind of about why... Uh, I mean, this is really oversimplifying it, but it's like why efforts to, uh, you know, make optimal versions of like the perfect language and things like that just can't possibly work out. Um, so, mm. and I, just to add one more, because I can't stop talking about this. <laughs> uh, I read this really wonderful book by Erica Okrent called In the Land of Invented Languages, where she basically goes through the history of, uh, I think people call them conlangs, like constructed languages. You know, the mm-hmm. modern example, like the biggest modern example is Klingon, but you could add gotcha. things, whatever, like Tanguar or Dothraki or, you know, a million other. Th- and those are just in uh, fantasy books. Like people have for Esperanto actually is, is the biggest, biggest one. Yep. Um, but there's a million, million other things. And some of them are fun. Like you got to read this book cause it's crazy. There was this dude, I can't even remember his name, but he basically wanted words to be, he kind of, his job was to catalog everything in the universe and then have these massive books of like tables. And so when you used letters or symbols or whatever in a particular order, like you would be referring to a specific thing in a particular table really like, and the tables of course are like, it's just his weird classification of, uh, of things. So like, I I don't even know if this is right, but it would be like, if you want to say dog, you have to look up the table for like companions and then look up four legged companions and four legged companions that bark. And if you follow that, that path (laughs) is a particular set of letters, which then is the word for dog. It, it's fucking crazy. Wow. Yeah. That sounds completely awesome. What am I thinking? There's, okay, I'm thinking of a particular manuscript that I can't remember the name for um, that baffled people for a really long time. The Voynich manuscript? Yes. 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 Yeah. That thing, they There's, actually, uh, I saw it. They have it. Uh, I think they still have it. If you go to... Uh, book soup, which is an awesome bookstore. I saw they, they like kind of cracked it open, right? Well, I did they decipher it? I don't think they did, but I could be wrong. I I think that they did, if I recall correctly, because I recently really the wow thing that I will do sometimes is just find uh, like early 2000s documentaries uh, from the History Channel and throw them on my CRT from like a YouTube playlist. And I was watching one about the Boynick manuscript and this was way beforehand. So I was doing like a little bit more research and apparently there's like, it's, it, there are like a lot of sex tips in there. I, is this a dream I had? Am I making this up? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I know this thing, but I, I'm looking it up right now. Uh, the, the, I mean, the cool thing about this, like if you look at it, it lo- just looks amazing. Like the script is just incredible. Yeah. It's um, gorgeous. Let's see. Did they crack it? Hmm. Okay, this most recent one. The manuscript has never been demonstrably deciphered, is what I see on Wikipedia. Every few months, I get, like, deep, deep in this hole. It looks like there are some people who recently claimed something. Yeah, which people have taken issue with. 
Okay, so I, I got to dive into this again. It doesn't seem like there's a widely uh, agreed upon translation. No. God, I love a mysterious thing. It's so cool. I love with the, the level of immediacy of information that the internet has, a true mystery is just so exciting. Uh, have you seen the, uh, what is it? It's the the giant uh, sculpture that's in front, like it, it's on the grounds of the CIA, which is a massive code. Do you know about this? No. Okay. It's called Kryptos uh, with a K, K-R-Y-P-T-O-S. And it is a sculpture slash puzzle, which is on the CIA, like whatever you call it, campus, grounds, I don't know. And I, I believe there are four parts to it and people have cracked three of them. And there's a fourth that has still not been uh, deciphered. I think that's right. Yes, that's that's right. I'm looking it up right now. Um, yeah, that's a beautiful sculpture. It's really cool, yeah. Wood. And actually, if you read like the... Uh, the the story of how they were deciphered and what the codes are it's 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 cool stuff like it's 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 one is a a book cipher I think uh, based on the mm. Declaration of Independence maybe um, and I forget the other ones but it's like it's a famous uh, unsolved code the artist is still alive but he's not talking God I respect that I love when an artist does a thing and then shuts up about it yeah. Um, it's always very exciting. I, another one that I just like, I I want I want info on the Zodiac Killer, man. I want to I want to see that one cracked in my lifetime. I don't think it's going to happen. Is there no progress on it? it? No, like no one knows what's going nope. on. Yeah. No. Um. It's ugh, fuck. I hate that that kind of thing is so fascinating because you know it's exactly what the dude wants. Of but, course. Yeah. Ugh, it's such a bummer. I mean, it's more of a bummer that a bunch of people are dead, but I don't know what the thing says. <laughs> yeah. Did you? Okay. I have to hear your opinion. I, I, I'm i going to okay. guess. Let's see. So my question is, what do you think of the movie Zodiac? Don't tell me yet. I guess, le- yeah. L- like many things, I can see you really disliking David Fincher, but there's also, so let me see. I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess you dislike David Fincher and- you think he is very overrated, but you kind of like Zodiac. That's my claim. David Fincher is fine. I hate Zodiac. Okay, wow. He manages okay. to take the most interesting story and turn it into just like a fucking snooze fest. Uh, I fell asleep halfway through that movie. So did I. I, like I you know what? I did too. I was on a plane, admittedly, but yeah, I fell asleep Good watching plane it. plane movie. I mean, and it's got all all the people I like are in it. It's about a thing I'm interested in. Beautifully shot. Uh, I don't really. Everybody says the picnic scene is really fucked up. I don't know what y'all are talking about. Um, yeah, it did not seem that fucked up. Like it's it, it, it seemed like it's Hollywood like, okay, fucked up. Like when, it's not when people up. talk about things being fucked up. It's like you're watching a movie about a serial killer. What did you think was going to happen? Yeah, like there's a base level of like fuck upness which involves people getting murdered that you're you're walking in with right yeah yeah i don't know yeah i really wish that i liked that movie but it, it's just not really my thing i literally just but i i really appreciate the guess on what my take was going to be though that's kind of delightful it was uh, it was it was i'd say it was off base i got that one wrong um but 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 that your heart was in the right place like it was it was a good extrapolation yeah i i think it was it was it was fair um, I just rewatched after not seeing it for 
a long time, like probably at least 10 years, uh, Fight Club. And I rewatched oh. it two, two, like two days ago because um, it was on, you know, on one of the apps. And I was like, fuck it. Why not? I haven't seen this in a while. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very well-made movie, but I just don't understand the extreme reverence for it that people have. Like, maybe it's because the twist yeah. is so obvious now. I mean, it looks cool. It's well-acted. Um, but, and I remember liking it, it you definitely know, when does. it came out. But. It carries the stain of the kind of person who really loves that movie and is obnoxious about yes. it. But I think beyond that, it, it's still just kind of like, yeah, it's fine. It's a good movie. Sure. It's not incredible. And neither is the book. I like Chuck Palahniuk. I think he's a good writer most of the time, yeah. even though he continues to insist on like, I'm going to do a story where it's a bunch of quirky characters all writing their own chapters. But all of these different characters sound like a 50 year old pervert, which he is. So it's like, dude, why are you going to insist on doing this shtick that you're not good at? Yeah, um, I've I've never it, honestly like been the biggest Chuck Planick fan. Like, it's it's fine, whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I, just, I was definitely into him in college. I, I you know, I, I think you and I share this. I hate edgy for edgy's sake. And at some point, it's yes. like, all right, dude, we get it. Like, you're writing this because it feels fucked up, and you're you know, transgressing boundaries and things like that. But Come on, dude. Like it's, I, I, yeah. I, I would rather have a good story than, you know, another fucking anal bead scene or whatever. Yeah, this uh, carnival freak show act. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate that to a degree, but he definitely is a, a big offender on just like, man, write a story. What? It's the world's biggest gangbang. Oh, is somebody gonna die? Great. Yeah. I don't care. Uh. Choke. I like Choke. Choke's pretty fun. That's the last book of his I read, actually. And that was a long time ago. It is one of those things where the fans make it worse. Like, if those books existed in a vacuum yes. without any of the reverent fanboys, that would be fine. Actually, I would definitely like them more. I guarantee it. But because yeah. of... I mean, the... it's like, I guess this episode will come out before the one where I go on the extended Pixar rant. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. It's like, they're fine. It, it's just response to stuff that can... I mean, in the same way that, like... I love Rick and Morty. I think it's a great show. I cannot bring myself to watch it anymore. <laughs> like it's, it's just been that uh, that one I can get around because it, it's so I really it's it's a really really great show. Um, the last season had ups and downs as might be expected, but it's like overall I, it's yeah. just so smart and well done. But again, like this the the bad fans are really bad and yeah. The, the, I, I feel like we might have talked about this on an episode of the podcast, but uh, Emily Nussbaum, the New Yorker TV critic, had a whole thing several years, probably close to 10 years ago, when Breaking Bad was just kind of wrapping up uh, mm-hmm. uh, about bad fans. And specifically, she was talking about the people who were like, fuck yeah, Walter White, fuck that shit up. Oh, yeah, you rule. You know, and it's like... Or Skylar's such a bitch for yeah. not letting Walter do what he wants. Right, exactly. Like, you know, the the real bro-y, like, f- falling down type, you know, uh, alienated... Missing the point of the show, thinks Don Draper is the coolest, best yes, character, exactly. et cetera. Like, starts basically... Who, people who start rooting for the anti-hero without reservation. 
Well, because I need my piece of media to tell me exactly how I am supposed to act and feel. Or that you have to have a sympathetic protagonist, which, I mean, you, all these yeah. things sort of do. It's not like Walter White is without sympathy. Like, that's the whole thing is you're, the show is trying to push you into sympathizing with him as he becomes more and more of a monster. Um, so, of course, yeah. he's sympathetic to an extent. Same thing with Don Draper, although, I, I yeah. don't know, like, Don Draper sucks. Like, what an asshole. Uh, that's not a deep thought, but... <laughs> Come on, the guy sucks. I mean, that's always the thing. It, it's always the anti-heroes where it's like, yeah, they're a dick. That I can still enjoy the show. It's good. I'm not going to put him on a pedestal because he drinks whiskey during the day and is mean to women. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's the fucking thing about Fight yeah. Club, and I'm far from the first person to point this out, but like, you have to look real hard to see women in that movie because there, there aren't many of them. Yeah. Uh, it's like Helena Bonham Carter and then a bunch of people at support groups, and that's kind of it. That doesn't make uh, it necessarily terrible, but you, it, 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 in this case, I think it certainly doesn't help it. it w- I was about to say I want more prestige dramas where the shit antihero gets to be a woman, but isn't that, I have not watched it yet, but is that kind of what Fleabag is? Have you watched that? I've only seen the first episode, and I loved it, and then I didn't continue. Uh, but I don't know what her character is, like how bad she's supposed to to be. yeah. The vibe I get it from reading about it is horny train wreck. So that seems about right. Up yeah. my alley. Yeah. Um, I just need to. I'll work my way through Sopranos and then I'll move on to greener pastures. I feel like I'm constantly uh, forgetting. Like I have this whole list of things I want to see. Fleabag is up there. I got halfway through the first season of Killing Eve, and then, uh, you know, like just kind of stepped away from it. Went traveling for went on tour or something. I don't even know. And then didn't come yeah. back to it. And anytime I'm sitting in front of the TV about to watch something, I can remember approximately zero of the things on my list that that oh, I want to see. Or I go through the things on the list that are like dozens and dozens of things. And I'm like, mm, I don't really want to watch any of these. Yes, because they're too much like of a bummer fool. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, or even just like, I don't know, accepting new information into your brain for me is like, there's too much. I, I need to not. Uh, watch a new thing right now i cannot integrate new information at this time yeah and also i don't uh, want that, to that's... sorry go ahead no, no no go ahead i was gonna say because of all the things we just talked about like i feel a bit of reservation about becoming a fan of something knowing how many fucked up fans there are of all the popular stuff like it, it feels like guilt by association to be like, oh, you know, I really like this thing. Oh, wait, am I a fan now? Oh, God. And it's... It, it, I saw Goody Proctor posting Rick and Morty fan art. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's... Yeah, exactly. Um, but I... So last night, I was like, all right, I, you know, I want to watch something. Uh, and once again, I'm watching The Office, and I'm in season six, which is not one of the show's <laughs> high, high points. Um, no. And... I was like, all right, I, you know, the, the really fun part of the show is over. What else am I doing here? And I settled on a classic I've never seen, which is Sunset Boulevard. Have you seen that? Oh, no, I haven't. That is a true classic. It is a true classic. It's, a, you know, Billy Wilder from the 50s, I think 1950 maybe. And I'd only, it's one of those things that you've seen parodied so much. Like you've seen that Gloria Swanson yeah. character parodied all over the place. Uh, and it totally, you know, it's like, as you might expect, a little dated, but, uh, it's fucking great. And she is, her performance is bananas. Like it's, Mm. it's it's really something 
uh, seemed to be believed. And I was reading a bunch about it too. So she was an ex, I mean, this is like common background for the movie, but in case people don't know, she was a silent film. So the movie is basically about a silent film star who, uh, you know, once is, lives in this kind of decaying, not quite Grey Gardensy, but not far from it, uh, mansion in LA. And uh, it plans this comeback and kind of uh, takes this young down and out writer, William Holton, uh, into her mansion and falls in love with him and, you know, gets him to basically rewrite or edit her, you know, uh, her magnum opus where she's going to star and it'll be a big comeback. But Gloria Swanson herself was a former silent film actor who, you know, basically had this huge comeback because of Sunset Boulevard. Uh, and there's the scene wow. where she's playing bridge with a bunch of like real life former silent film actors, including Buster Keaton. Whoa! Yeah, what year did that movie come out? 1950. So he's Damn. pretty pr- right. pretty old then. And like Cecil B. DeMille is in it playing himself. Mm. So <laughs> there, it's one of those things where I'm like, I am missing a lot of the cultural background that people had 70 years ago when this thing came out. Because I'm sure people in the movie would be like, oh, fuck, it's Buster Keaton. You know, where, like, (laughs) I I recognize Buster Keaton, but there were two other people at that bridge table where I was like, I don't know, like, I guess that's probably some huge star. You know, who who would the equivalent now of, like, a I don't know, someone in their, let's say, 80s, where if they showed up in a movie, you'd be like, whoa, they're back. You would know better than I would just because you got age on me. Yeah, I'm trying to think of someone. So it would be someone, if that movie was made in the 50s and the silent film heyday was in like the 20s, right? So let's say it's someone who basically disappeared 30 years ago, right? And so right now, that would be 1990. So who's someone who was a big star in the 80s and then disappeared and then like oh, middle age? That's such an upsetting. I know. Tell, tell me about ago. it. Um, <laughs> so when it feels like 10 years ago. <laughs> I'm trying to think who was like a middle-aged actor in the 80s who then basically kind of, you know, their career went down and then they'd be back. I don't, who would that be? Uh, let me think. My, my, my go-to is Max Wright, who played the dad on ALF. But that's, <laughs> I don't know if many people would recognize Max Wright. And he was he was far from a major star. Yeah, that's certainly a pull. Uh, I can think of a lot of younger people. Yeah, I'm trying to think of people who aren't, dead <laughs> or too young like someone that occurs to me is molly ringwald yeah but she was like a teen star in the 80s mm-hmm. and is still like kind of in the public eye like she's she writes a lot of stuff she's really i really like some of the stuff she talks about it she wrote this great piece about watching some of her movies with her teenage daughter because those like some Whoa. of those 80s sex comedies are pretty fucked up and <laughs> yeah most of them have are. you seen revenge of the nerds I haven't, but I know exactly what you were referring to in terms of it being fucked up. Yeah. Okay. I want to throw that to the audience. Like this question of who, if they came back now, who's someone who's been basically vanished for 30 years from film and they come back now, they'd be super old. People would be like, whoa. And movies do this all the time. I mean, shit. Like yeah, the new Picard series just came out. So like, you know, we're watching this happen in real time. Um, but yeah. I, I don't have a good answer to it. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, celebrities who kind of, like, disappear, and you're like, what, whatever happened to them? I have so much respect for those people. They did their shit, and they got out of there, and now they're doing their own thing. Like, I respect getting getting out of the whole racket. Yeah, totally. Like, you made your money, go retire. 
Yeah, Sam Neill's mentioned it before on the show. Sam Neill just has like a pig farm in New Zealand. That's so great. He's posted about wine and his pigs. Like, God fucking bless. I love it. I, yeah, I love it. You know, it, it's such a weird thing when, you know, you, you can go the route of like Dan Aykroyd's Crystal Head Vodka or uh, uh, <laughs> what is it? Sammy Hagar's Cabo Wabo tequila where you're like, all right, guys, yeah. come on. Like, what What do we, really? That's are you telling me that's really good tequila? And maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> I'm skeptical. Um, but like when when celebrities start uh, their own alcohol I'm usually yeah. skeptical of that. Okay, but if you if somebody or if a company approached you and was like, "Hey, do you want to have your own brand of hard liquor?" Like would you you would you say no to that? Ninja Brian brand sake? Uh no, I would not say no to that. Like it would be <laughs> terrifically offensive cultural appropriation at its finest and I would Oh, I'm not I'm not saying that you're the one who said sake. Yeah. Uh, what would I do? I, I would like, you know, w- would I have my own bourbon or something? I guess if it was actually going to be good, that's the problem is I don't know enough about the process to like have any form of quality control except, you know, you like make it and... I'm going to argue that none of these people do. Well, that's 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 true and that's why it sucks. But like, I mean, the other thing with stuff like bourbon is like you can't just make it and then take a sip and be like, cool. You know, you have to wait. Yeah. Like years. So... If, okay, what would your liquor be? Light and gray brand, what? I mean, it very basic to say like a scotch, but may, maybe just as a wild card, like a really um, a botanical gin, like something mm-hmm. very floral. That'd be cool, yeah. Which isn't even my, my most favorite thing, but it just feels feels right, you know? What would you call it? Gray something. Gray goose. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> yeah. Gray something. Gray something gin. Yeah. What would, what would the name of my boutique bourbon be? Uh, something like Getting Wrecked with Brian Wecked. Oh, that. Yeah. Brian Wrecked. That's. Brian Wrecked. <laughs> that's. Yeah. You know what it is? Actually, that's it. It is grain alcohol. Pure grain alcohol. <laughs> called Brian Wrecked. Yep. You might go blind in one eye. Yeah. And don't I know it? Guaranteed. <laughs> uh, I don't. That feels like a good place to wrap uh, it up to me. What do you think? Yeah, totally. Like I, um, I ran out of one of my medications that helps me sleep. Oh no! Uh, yesterday, and so I didn't take. I did not have it anymore, and thus I got like three hours of sleep. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, and I feel like I legally couldn't be considered a person today. Like I just feel like an inanimate object. So I think I'm gonna go. Lie on yeah, the floor. well, have fun. I'm sure Audrey is doing the same thing right now. Thank you. Oh, yeah, tell Audrey I said hello. Um, I will. All right, cool. This is the end of the mini so Thanks for tuning in for Gearhead Book Linguistics uh, uh, <laughs> Alcohol Chat. That's the title. Boom. Got him. Goodbye. Bye. Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Knight, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Knight, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com.